Welcome to the Hope New Podcast, a podcast for parents of children impacted by disabilities, where we believe there's beauty in the journey and purpose in the pain. Your hosts are Jonathan and Sarah McGuire. Happy New Year, Sarah. Happy New Year's, Jonathan. New Year's Day was last week, and we have excitedly been planning goals for this year for ourselves personally and for Hope New. If you are listening to this and haven't already done so, this is a great time to look at what you are doing and to set goals for taking care of yourself. The tendency is to be so focused on caring for our children that we keep pushing our own needs back and back and back. Yes, for the first time, you and I are actually joining the masses of people who have gotten a gym membership and begin the year. We are doing a slim down challenge. I'm a little bit nervous about this. I actually recently just read a survey that's put out by Strava. And if you've never heard of Strava, it's basically a workout app that helps people track what they're doing, whether it's biking, walking, or running. I believe it's actually the app that my dad uses to track his bike rides in the summer. So anyway, in 2018, they tracked their users to see how long they stuck with their New Year resolutions fitness goals. And do you have any guesses of how long people stuck with them? Oh, maybe one month. You're, you're actually pretty optimistic. <laughs> so Strava found that overall people did pretty good until the third Thursday of January. And then oh. all of a sudden the people just started dropping off like flies. Okay. So not quite a month, like three weeks, maybe. Yeah, a little bit, three weeks. Yeah, okay. I, I think we're going to do better than that though. Definitely. All right. Because we are setting our goals. Exactly. And that's the key right there. Strava actually found that 94% of those who set specific goals remained active nine months later. That's a lot longer. Yeah, you know, so write down your goals, put them on a piece of paper, and we'll share our goals with each other after the podcast here today. So now do you know what they found to be the second predictor of reaching those goals? No, what would that be? Having a group to exercise with. So we're actually social creatures, and they found that when we exercise in groups, we tend to run or bike further, actually 21% further, and work out 10% longer. So people who commit to a more social indoor activity like yoga are three times more likely to get activity. You know, that makes sense. As I think back over my life and the times where I actually did stick with activity and like went longer, it was when I did it often with other people. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm sharing this because our audience is thinking about goals this year. And one element they may not think about is having social connection. And social connection has been found to be just as important in our overall health as self-care. It'll help us be in such a better place as we care for our children. So Sarah, what would you say to that mom or dad who says that they don't have that group who gets it or that friend that they can be real with and call in the middle of the night if they're struggling? I would say they need to join the Hope Anew online community. It is a new community and the level of engagement is so rich. Everyone is real with where they're at and encouraging to each other. One of the things that I love is that everyone is accepted for who they are and where they are in life. And we just encourage each other wherever we're at. And if you know me, I don't do fluff conversations. I shouldn't say I don't do them, but if I do them, they bore me, they seem like a waste of my time, and they really drain my energy. But if I have real conversations with people about life, that energizes me, and I love it. And I love that about the Hope New community. It's about parents supporting parents in the real challenges of life. Mm-hmm. I love that. 
So if you would like to become a member of the Hopanoo community, you can go to hopanoo.com. And this is a great time to join us as we are having a New Year's resolution sale. In the first two weeks of January, you can purchase an annual membership for 50% off the regular monthly price when you get an annual membership. So for the first two weeks, the price is just $70 for the whole year. Wow, that is a great deal. And this is a great time to join because as members, you get free access to all of our live events. And next month, we will be having Dr. Joe and Cindy Farini lead a master class on marriage. And in just a week from now, today when you're listening to this, we will be starting our live online five-week course where we use scripture to look at topics like why God, chronic grief. We know what grief looks like, but what is chronic grief and how does that affect us? Guilt, anger, forgiveness, as well as other topics that we often struggle with as parents of children with special needs and disabilities. Yeah. So join now. We'd love to see you in the community and we look forward to getting to know each of you there. So now with the time of year it is and everything that we've been talking about so far, our audience might think that we're going to talk about New Year's resolutions today. And I can see why that might be. But today, we're actually not going to go that route. We're going a different way. We are talking with Jillian Marchenko. Jillian is a wife and mother who has recently written about her struggle with depression in her book titled Still Life, a memoir of living fully with depression. I love this conversation because she's real and candid about something that many people are afraid of and even ashamed of to share that they struggle with. If you are a listener who struggles with depression, I know that you'll be encouraged by the conversation. If you don't struggle with depression, you still need to hear this episode so you can better know how to come alongside those who do. Well, Jillian, welcome to the Hope A New podcast. We are so glad to have you with us today. Thanks so much for the invitation. I'm really excited to be here with you. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself and your family to us? Sure. I'm married to Sergey. We've been married for 21 years. He's a pastor. And so we've spent most of our married life in ministry in different places. We were missionaries in Ukraine for almost four years. And then we were in Chicago for eight years. And we've been here outside of St. Louis for four and a half. And then in between, there were like years of being here and there and everywhere. We have four daughters, 19, 17, 13, and 13. So our two youngest aren't twins, but our youngest, Evangeline, is adopted from Ukraine. Okay. So I write a bit and speak occasionally in the midst of all the craziness with kids and everything else that comes along with it. I recently read your latest book, Still Life, A Memoir of Living Fully with Depression. I didn't expect to enjoy a book about depression so much. So thank you so much for your (laughs) openness and sharing with us. I know it was was probably very difficult to be so vulnerable in it. Would you share your story with us and our listeners? Sure. Uh, I'll do my best and I'll give some bullet points since um, I'm 44 years old. I won't start with (laughs) kindergarten or anything on you. But um, (laughs) so my story is that God is a God of grace and hope and love. And yet hard things happen in our lives and he uses it for his glory and for our benefit. I grew up in Michigan to a non-believing family. I came to Christ when I was 15 years old through the witness of a friend down the street who was a believer. 
And after uh, high school, I attended Moody Bible Institute to further my education. And I remember when I told my folks that I wanted to go to Moody, uh, they were just a little unsure of it because it wasn't their landscape. And they wanted me to, quote, get, you know, a viable option for a mm-hmm. career in the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then they found out that it was tuition free and they were more, <laughs> more up to that. So um, while I was in at Moody, I took a year off my junior year. Uh, students at the time were challenged to go to the former Soviet Union to share in schools and universities about Jesus, which was just amazing. It was after the former Soviet Union fell apart and the Iron Curtain fell. And so the Lord worked that out. And I went to Ukraine for the year with the navigators. And one of the things I remember is on the way over on the airplane, or not on the airplane, probably in the training, we were told no matter what, don't date the nationals. That was a big rule. Uh Uh-huh. So we landed in Ukraine. It was like two in the morning and I was exhausted. Obviously, we all were. And there was a group of Ukrainians there to meet us and take us to our apartments and help us settle in believers who are working with the navigators. And one of the first people I saw was this skinny, long haired, greasy, straggly boy. (laughs) And that's my husband. (laughs) (laughs) So the Lord had a plan for Sergey and I to meet in Ukraine during that year. And by the time I came back to the States, when my term was up, he and I were both committed to long-term missions in Ukraine and also feeling led to marry. And he followed me back to Moody like a good boyfriend should. So (laughs) we were in the States for a couple of years together. I graduated and we were married in 98. And our goal all along was to go back to Ukraine and plant churches I just had a real heart for that ministry. God did amazing things in my life that year. And yeah, it was an exciting time. So we worked towards that. And we had our first two children still stateside while we were raising support and then went over to Ukraine. And we were there for about three and a half years, um, close to four. And a couple of years into it, you know, when I got really still and quiet, I just felt like, the Lord was telling us it was time to add to our family and Sergey was up for it. And we got pregnant pretty quickly and we decided to stay in Ukraine. I hadn't had any issues as far as birthing the kids back home and things like that. So we found a, you know, a hospital that would be a good fit for me as a foreigner. And we decided to stay in Ukraine Well, our daughter Polly was born three weeks early. So not super early, But she came via emergency cesarean section in the middle of the night. Her heart rate was dropping and I hadn't felt much movement. And so we went to the doctor. Actually, I think we were at just our weekly visit and the doctor said, I think I'm going to check you in. It looks like she might need just more nutrients and those types of things. So I was checked in. And then um, after I had an ultrasound, we noticed that she was in great distress. So I was knocked out completely on a white gurney in Ukraine. Um, No husband. I spoke Russian, but not at that point. And I just remember, um, you know, the the anesthesiologist who reeked of cigarette smoke, Mm -hmm. which was weird. I'm thinking, lady, you can't smoke in here. Um, You know, she they didn't tell me they were going to knock me out. So the last thing I knew was they said count backwards 
from 10 and I said, should I count in Russian or English? And they said, we don't care. And so I started counting backwards. And I was asleep and I woke up the next morning, no baby, no husband. Mm-hmm. I was um, from the waist down numb from, you know, the block and the, the surgery and everything. And a nurse noticed me and came over and said, how are you? And I said, where's my baby? Mm. And she said, the doctor will be here in a couple hours. He'll tell you everything. And she walked away to make a long story short. Polly was born with a lot of health issues, but she also about seven days later was diagnosed with down syndrome, Mm. which we just didn't expect. Mm -hmm. I think things happen to other people, not to ourselves until they do. Mm -hmm. I wasn't prepared for the news. I didn't respond in a very godly way Mm. (laughs) to the news at the time, but we decided to come back to the States for her care, at least for a year to get situated. And since that time, it's just been God's plan to keep us stateside. And we definitely miss Ukraine and our ministry there, but he's got other things for us. So Polly's story really coincides with my story of depression. Mm -hmm. I was, I always had a low grade depression. Now I know, I didn't know at the time growing up, something they call dysthymia. So you can imagine like Eeyore, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's Mm -hmm. just low grade functional, but you don't really know why you're not as happy, as energetic as other people. And then after the birth of my kids, I had postpartum depression a little bit, but really after Polly came, was when I first really had an episode of depression. And since that time, it's been on and off. She's going to be 14 in April. So we were in Michigan for a bit and went to Chicago and then felt God leading us to go back to Ukraine to adopt. So we adopted Evangeline, who was also born with Down syndrome and deserted in the hospital in 2009. And it was really neat for me as far as loving and serving a redemptive God, because I felt like there was so much to be redeemed in me Mm. and the work that he did through bringing Polly to our family and bringing us to the point of welcoming another person with special needs into our family was just a really amazing, amazing thing to us. After we brought Evie home from Ukraine, Polly had a catastrophic stroke Mm. and was diagnosed with another syndrome called Moya Moya. So that was a year of brain surgeries and hospitals and everything. And thankfully, the surgeries really helped. She's been stroke-free since then. Um, Definitely residual damage from from that stroke. But after all that happened, that's when I had my major um, breakdown. Mm -hmm. And from then on, it was months in bed from here and there for the next five to seven years. Yeah, that's very significant and what a what a journey, what a story. Yeah, you've had a lot going on. Yeah, I think we all have, but ours is unique in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I told Sergey we're not betting people, but we should probably attempt the lottery because <laughs> we get everything. Right. After Evie was home for a few years, she was also diagnosed with autism. So our girls with special needs are very different functionally, both mm valuable and loved, but Evie's nonverbal and yet not potty trained and struggles with communication in general. And Polly speaks enough for both of them. So So something I'm curious about, um, you mentioned you had um, depression and a breakdown. I can relate to the breakdown part for sure. 
I mean, I've had some times of depression, but probably not where I could call it clinical depression. So I can't say that I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. But what I'm wondering is how did your depression and your breakdown impact the relationship with your daughters and your husband? Um, it was very impactful and very hurtful for them. I mean, depression is a family illness. It doesn't just affect the person with the diagnosis, but it affects everybody around them, especially those closest to you. So, you know, our kids were in formative years and they had a mom who was just in and out of their life. Sometimes I felt like a visitor in my own home. Mm -hmm. And my husband, who was a pastor of a small turnaround church, the only guy on staff, was juggling that and all the household responsibilities, caring for the kids, cooking, cleaning, laundry. Um, So just getting by and surviving for those few years, obviously, was very, very difficult. I think, you know, I'm not sure when my girls realized I had depression, but they always felt the tension and the darkness in the home. And now that I've been in a season of healing, it seems, I don't know, maybe I'm just more aware, but we are dealing with a lot of carnage from those years of sure. hurt with the kids. So it definitely uh, affected us all. I will say like the the immediate impact was is very, very detrimental, but then you can take a look back and knowing God as a redemptive God of our whole stories, I can see a lot of good that's coming from this experience in our lives as well. But at the time, it was pretty terrible. I can only imagine what it would be terrible. Yeah. Can you share some of the redemptive things that did come from that? Yeah. When I think about depression, you know, my level of depression varies. So when I was in a deep, non-functioning depression with suicidal ideation, praise the Lord, no attempts, but plans, you know, my relationship with God was pretty much non-existent as any others. But, you know, you have that scaffolding as a believer in Jesus that you can stand on even when you're not standing. I wasn't thinking about God or anything else except occasionally to cry out to him for deliverance from the pain and the situation. But when I started to get better in these last four or five years, significantly better, He's been able to show me all the good that came from that time for myself and also for him. Because when Jesus is all you have, then you realize that Jesus is all you need. Mm. And it's taken a lot of therapy and medication and spiritual encouragement from friends and family in our church to get to the point of health where I can start to see where we can start to see all these good things that he's done in the midst of these difficulties. So long-term, I think God's just calling us closer to himself. He's using these trials, both special needs and surgeries and depression to bring glory to himself as we're sanctified and drawn closer to him in relationship. But that's things you can't see at the time. Right. Right. And I don't, I think that's totally fine. I'm um, Mm -hmm. sometimes a little too honest about my struggles. (laughs) important, right? We want to be able to identify with one another. Uh, Isn't it C.S. Lewis who says it's powerful when you, when you hear someone else say, wait, I'm not the only one or you too, or something like that. Yeah. Often as we (laughs) interact with each other in church, we, we have our mask up, you know, Mm -hmm. and everybody's 
has has the perfect outfits on. Hair's done hair's done nicely and perfect smiles mm-hmm. on and just a cheerful greeting. And so as you're going through your daily struggles, you're like, I don't think I can share it with this person. And mm-hmm. I might be alone with this struggle. And so to have like you being willing to share those those hard times, that's, that's so important, so valuable to other families that are struggling. Thank you. Yeah, I think in the beginning it was, well, I think everything we do is selfish to an extent because we're both sinners and saints at this point still. Mm-hmm. But um, I was wanting to figure out how not to waste what I felt like a, was a wasteful life. You have so much shame and guilt. Well, I think in parenting in general, and we do experience that as parents to kids with special needs. I think I saw in your ministry, you talk a lot about what I would call chronic sorrow, but you title it something Mm -hmm. else. Chronic grief. grief. Yeah, Yeah, chronic grief. You know, that low grade grief that's always there and pops up. You know, I experienced that with my children even now um, because I'm, I'm doing much better with my depression, but I still have it. So I was trying to figure out a way to not waste my life. It was a very selfish endeavor. But what I found is once I started talking about the the big things like sinful behavior in the midst of your pain and your illness, um, share those things and then also share what God's doing through all of that, then I was buoyed in my own face that... I would receive strength from other people and their stories. And it became more of a communal thing as opposed to me just feeling good about myself that I could share all the gross stuff. Now, the name of our organization and the podcast is Hope Anew. And in your mm-hmm. book, you mentioned that one definition of depression is the absence of hope. So how do you find hope when you're in darkness? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think you both have more theological training than I do. So (laughs) we'll just do a voiceover here and you can take that one. But, um, but books on theology aren't the same as living it. Yes. Hmm. That's a, that's a good point. Again, it depends on the degree of my depression. I think at the end of my book, which was really when I wrote still life, I was out of that very dark stage, but I was still very much depressed So it was almost like looking in at someone else's life and just writing down what you saw. And through the thread of the whole book, even though there was a lot of struggles, I saw hope. I saw God, you know, stitch hope in me when he brought me to faith at 15. And he's carrying that throughout our whole story. Um, And I realized that hope isn't something that I'm responsible to conjure up, that it's not me making the best out of my situation and hoping like the world thinks we should hope for good things, but hope being more so a person, Jesus Christ himself and someone you can hold on to, but it does depend on my degree. So when I'm pitch black, I don't have hope. I'm hopeless. I, my emotions are hopeless. And I know that emotions don't equal equal truth. But at the time, you know, that's all you can see. My reality is 100% skewed. So when I can, I really love to be in the Psalms if I can during those times and just rely on the ministry and prayers of my faith community and my family and my husband. But then again, when I'm doing better, I find a lot of hope in the Word of God 
just that daily rhythmic need to come to the word, to know and love God first, to find out who, who he is so that I could figure out more, will bring glory to him and just love him for who he is, but then find out who I truly am as well. And I've been able to, I mean, we see so much hope in scripture. And so just that daily bread of coming to him and tapping into verses, I feel like God gives me something so often in the word to meet me right where I'm at. And that just renews my hope, but I need it all the time because I lose hope and I lose faith often, but God doesn't give up on us. That's that's so good. So encouraging. I love how you point out, you know, just the different things that you did in order to help you through that time. And those times, like reading through the Psalms, I love how honest David is with his struggles. Mm -hmm. And I love, too, how you pointed out, like, there's times when you need, like, a faith community around you. And I'd say there were times like that for me, too, like, where there were times where I really didn't have hope, and I had to depend on others for their hope and, like, like, just give me an IV infusion of it for now. You know, yes, like, I know someday yes. I'll get there, but I'm not there now. So just you carry me through for now. You know. Yeah. And that's God's plan for us. I mean, we, we serve a triune God who lives in community. He created us for that, you know. Yes. So there's a lot of blessing that comes from our trials and suffering when it's shared with other people, too, which I guess you don't really realize until... I don't know. I think that I just must be a really big sinner and really thick because it takes a lot for me to learn these lessons. Maybe other people are learning them quickly, but yeah. And the other thing about hope that recently God's been showing me that has been really encouraging. I'm going through Romans with a friend from church. And in Romans five, it says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And for me, while I'm reading these verses, God helped me to see hope in a different light. I tend to think that we start with hope and I beat myself up that I don't have it. But then when you look at these verses, according to Paul, we see that these sufferings we're experiencing are what help is helping produce hope in our lives, that our affliction produces endurance and endurance produces character. And the NIV adds the word proven, proven character, proven endurance. And I realized that maybe my depression the defined absence of hope is being used by God to actually give me hope because it's what's drawn me to him mostly in my life outside of everything else. I can see how, how true that is and how, how these things help yeah, help us go in that journey and draw closer to him and find that hope. It's, I mean, yeah, sometimes you wish there's an easier way to do it though, but uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wish it came through my Netflix binges, but right? so far it's not happened. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say to the mom or dad who is struggling with depression? A few things that are important for me to hear that I hope would be helpful to somebody else is firstly, that you're not alone. You're not the only one with this type of struggle and trial and affliction and that you need help, 
that this isn't something, whether it's situational depression, really bad circumstance, or clinical, there's help to be had. And it's really difficult when you're depressed. And you probably know this, Sarah, because you said you've experienced some mm-hmm. depression. Right. It's the worst time to reach out Yes, <laughs> when you feel like that. But if you, the person who's struggling today, could just reach out to one person and tell them what's going on and just kind of open yourself up in that way. I think, you know, scripture talks a lot about darkness and light and depression is very dark Mm -hmm. and bringing whatever we can out into the light is just so helpful for our mental health and our well-being. And there's so many means of grace that God gives us. I love my medicine. You know, I love the counselor. When I was in Chicago and I was deeply depressed, the Lord used a cognitive behavioral therapist who wasn't a Christian to to help me because at that time I needed someone to say, stand up and get dressed today mm-hmm. and move forward and make your bed and restore a little dignity to your life. And then to add into that, finding good medication that seems to help finding a Christian psych psychiatrist and growing more in my spiritual disciplines, you know, all those things help. Um, but it's hard to start. So I just, my heart really goes out to people who are struggling because I know the battle rages and for a lot of us who have depression, it's, you know, the Lord could heal us this side of glory, but I don't know if it's going to (laughs) happen. Right. Yeah. 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 Those are some good words of advice. So as you're reaching out to that friend, have you approached the friend beforehand or do you, or do you call them right in the midst of it without telling them that you, that you struggle with depression or have, is this something that you've, you've prearranged with somebody to say, Hey, can I call you when I'm, when I'm down in the dark here? Hmm. I think a healthy person would prearrange it. So no, I do not do that. (laughs) (laughs) I do think if you're able to be preemptive and intentional in living in general, it's proves to be very helpful. But for me, making sure that I can be intentional about having people in my life that are already in those places so that I feel comfortable enough to reach out to them when the time comes. Something my husband and I did when I was really depressed at the advice of my therapist, we came up with a color system because sometimes I couldn't communicate how I felt and it was too much work to try. Mm -hmm. And so we just made it very simple. Green was doing great. So we never used green. Yellow was, I'm struggling, but I'm fighting. Because I I will say that for those of us who struggle, when we have fight in us, Mm -hmm. we need to fight. We need to be courageous enough to do the things that are hard that we know we need to do. So that's yellow. And then red is non-functioning. You're on your own. I'll be in bed. Pray for me. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that means watch me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was really helpful. So sometimes... I can just say those words. I've shared that that system with my friends and I could just box somebody or text and say, hey, I'm yellow today. Could you pray for me? Mm. What a great tip. I mean, it's yeah. so simple. You don't have to dive into this whole conversation about how are you How are you really doing today? And um, just Yet go through that. It communicates everything yeah. they need to know. Saves yeah. energy and communicates. So it's good. Yeah, I was really glad for that. That was a huge resource for us and still is. So what would you say to the spouse of someone who's struggling with depression? 
Oh, I, I feel so much for the family and the spouse. Um, I, it, I can imagine it's just such a painful place. One, to see your loved one hurt so much and to not be able to do anything right. about it. And then to attempt to understand it when if you haven't experienced it, it's very hard, I would I would think. And then just the wear and tear it takes on you. Essentially, Sergey became my caregiver as he was to Polly and Evie and our other girls. And you both know how exhausting caregiving is mm, anyway. Yes. And in a prolonged state, I know a lot of us talk about that in a special needs community as well. So I would say that they have a need to be cared for just as much as the person with depression. If they can be in counseling, if they have trusted people that they can say the hard things to that they wouldn't want to say to their spouse and hurt them, that if they can be encouraged spiritually and grow in their relationship with Jesus, like all, all the same things apply. I mean, you really would need to ask somebody who's a spouse to somebody with depression because it's not a firsthand experience And my husband has been so patient and sacrificial and loving through the years, but it's really, really hard on him. And I hate that it is. I wish we had a different story in those, in those ways. If somebody comes up to me in church or somebody that I'm friends with shares with me that they're struggling with depression. I think one of the most powerful things in my life or in anyone's life is when someone else says, Hey, I see you. I validate where you're at. And I'm keeping space for you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stay in your life, whether that's sending a card because you can't handle visitors mm-hmm. or coming over and doing your dishes or praying with you. It's just, it takes discernment. I think it's always appropriate to point people back to the gospel, but that also takes discernment as to when the right time is and what to say. Um, so I think it's a case by case basis. And for me, the biggest thing is when people stick because you push a lot of people away. And so it makes sense that if somebody never responds to anything you say or do that after a while, you will no longer reach out. And so just knowing if you're in someone's life who struggles with mental illness and you stick around, Mm -hmm. I mean, what a testimony. I mean, what a ministry. And I think if someone came up to you, Jonathan, at church and said, hey, I'm struggling. Uh, That's such a good thing that they're reaching out in that way that I think it could be a lot more. I don't know if aggressive is the right word, but I would imagine they're open to prayer and counsel and support more substantially because they're asking, which is awesome that they're asking. That's really good. Now, what if they don't approach me, but I get the sense that they might be struggling? What what do I do then? You just avoid them. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, hey, not my issue. No, I'm totally kidding. Um, I don't know if it's someone you really love in in your life or I guess any person. Mm -hmm. Prayer is huge. I'm learning just as I grow and grow in ministry that the best thing I can do for someone else is pray for them. Mm. Um, firstly, and then cards are nice. I mean, for me, if I'm depressed, I'm never opening my door, Okay. but if you leave something at my door and you leave, I will get that mm. <laughs> and bring it in. Or if you say, Hey, you know, we're going to take your kids on Saturday afternoon to the park. A lot of these same things that you all know in your ministry with special mm-hmm. needs. Yeah. But you don't say, can we take your kids or can I do this? Because that puts the burden back on the person. And we're like, I don't know. Mm. But if someone says, I'm coming Saturday, 
You don't even have to have them ready. Mm. We actually had a friend do that here. Mm. I was, I had a depressive episode in these last couple months and she just said, she texted Sergey and said, I'm outside your door. He let her in. I was in my room and he's like, I'm going to get the girls ready, Polly and Evie, and we'll be back after dinner. And just to not have a choice is such a relief, you know? Yeah. So yeah, being pre preemptive, I don't know if preemptive, that's like a negative term, but just proactive and not. When you are struggling, do you have a favorite verse or verses or promise that you tend to go back to repeatedly? Yeah. I mean, I used to make some, a mantra, like when I couldn't think, or I didn't want to read, or I just didn't read, you know, having some verses even tucked in my purse or in my pocket, something like first Corinthians one, nine, God who called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ is faithful. You know, I came so that they could have life and have it abundantly. That didn't make sense to me, but I knew that was true. So even just repeating that or just saying Jesus's name and praying short popcorn prayers. But overall, I think just, again, just being in God's word, I think he gives us new things all the time. Just uh, recently in my plan, I went through the book of John and I was struck at Lazarus story, you know, where he dies and Mary says, the one you love is dying. And Jesus's response when he heard it was, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. And um, that was just really encouraging to me that I know as a Christian that this illness doesn't lead to death. No illness does because we're going to be with Christ someday in a glorified state. So regardless which side of heaven this happens, it's going to happen. I love how you said you had those uh, mantras for the day and different verses readily available to to encourage you in those times. And um, thank you for coming on the the podcast and sharing with us. And I want to thank you also for writing this book, uh, Still Life, a Memoir of Living Fully with Depression. Again, you know, if if you're somebody that's struggling with depression or you know somebody, love somebody that's struggling with depression, or even if you're a pastor or a counselor, I'd recommend getting this book. It will an encouragement it will help give you um, insight into what life is like as as you're as you're coping with it so thank you for coming on the podcast today how can our listeners stay connected with you it's kind of embarrassingly easy as another podcaster puts it have a healthy addiction to social media as any other person <laughs> at this point um so you could go on my website jillianmarchenko.com i'm actually have been in a in a state of quiet and healing these last four years. And now God has been drawing me back to some writing and speaking. So I'm more active there and in a monthly newsletter. I'm on Facebook as Jillian Marchenko and Instagram. I post blurry pictures, so I can't right. do Instagram. as much. You know, that's so stressful for a word person <laughs> that you have to take a picture in order right? to post. Exactly. Seriously, right? Oh, I have to hand, I, know I have to give Jonathan all my photos to edit before I can post them. Oh, Jonathan, what's your email? <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but I, I really would. And my, my email is jillianmarchenko at gmail.com. I'd love to talk with anybody who needs more encouragement.
as best I can. If you don't hear back from me, which happens, then I'm probably depressed. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, I'd love to uh, be a support as I can. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And I will post links to these different uh, ways to connect on our show notes and as well as a link to your latest book. So thanks again. Thank you so much, you guys. Well, thank you. Thank you.